I'm thrilled Richard Scoggin is with us this morning. Uh, Kathy and I have known Richard for about 25 years, I think. We went to church many years ago. Seems like lifetimes ago. Uh, you, you never want to sing someone's praises too highly because people don't take you seriously. But seriously, Richard is one of the most, uh, use old-fashioned terms, devout men of God, Christ, uh, I've ever known. And he's had a great ministry over the years as a missionary educator. He has spoken at Lion and Lamb. I checked online. It was six years ago. Out of Habakkuk, it was a great talk then. And I'm thrilled he's with us this morning. His wife Gladys, Andy, Isaiah, and Gracie are also back here in the row. I don't know. You can't see from above. But say hi to them after service if you can. Make them feel welcome. Um, It is a great thing not only to hear from a guy like Richard, but someone who lives in another part of the world also, and it's inherently healthy for the body of Christ to hear from people from divergent places and backgrounds. And so I'm thrilled Richard is here with us this morning and speaking. Also, Richard's going to share a little bit about what they do in Bolivia, but just uh, the Scoggins were one of our Christmas gift projects several years ago. Lion and Lamb contributed to a facility they have that's part of their neighborhood outreach. So Lion and Lamb has been invested in the Scoggins in the past. We've got a great picture, and I'll leave some of these on the table in the hall. You can pick one up of the Scoggin family to remind you of them in the future and to pray for them as well. Okay? Richard, all yours. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. It's one thing to look devout on the outside in church, but it's another thing to live a holy life in the family and the home. When your children, wife, and they all have to live together, it's quite a different story sometimes. <laughs> so I don't pro myself as as anyone special, but God is good to me, and God has blessed me, and God has given me a wonderful family. My wife and, and children are here, and my wife and children are from Bolivia. They were born there. So when you speak with them, they'll, my children speak English well, but my wife does not. But you might speak to her anyway. She will try to listen to you and, and will speak to you in Spanish if you have some Spanish capabilities. I am glad to be here. The Lord is good to me, and I thank the Lord for each of you who have come together this morning to worship the Lord, to be a part of his fellowship in, in this building. And I remember Mike from many years ago. It's good to be around when Mike is here, when he was still in the, I don't know, where Buchanan or what was that fire station. We'd go up there and have some chats together and enjoy his his wisdom and, and just enjoy his family very much. This morning, I want to do a couple things. One, I want to present who we are and what we're doing in Bolivia. And then after that, I want to bring a, a message from the scriptures from the gospel of, or from the book of Acts. But you, you have in your sheet, and I didn't expect Mike to, to photocopy that, but you have a sheet that explains or describes our background and our ministries a little bit. And that basically is what I was want to share with you as, as, we, uh, as we present who we are. We're not here to raise money. That's not our purpose. But we are here to sh- share what the Lord is doing. God is very good. And both my wife and I have felt God's hand in our lives. And there's some challenges, too, as you serve the Lord. There's, there's never probably a time when the challenges don't seem quite strong. But the Lord is very good. Our vision, our hope... And our goal in Bolivia is to evangelize and teach 
and disciple children and youth. Now that's, Gladys's gifts especially are evangelizing the children. She has a tremendous gift of evangelism in the Spanish, Spanish community and she's worked with that for 30 years. And when I married her, I didn't realize how tremendous she was. She, she uses, we, every time we come, we've tried to go to Warrensburg, Missouri and get some child evangelism things, but she has developed in, in the course of her ministry lots of, of evangelistic tools and, and has done a tremendous ministry with those. That's our vision. I work in a school and, and work with missionary children as well as the Bolivians and from other countries. There's 12 or 13 different nationalities in our school. And it's a school such, such as Caravel, probably not quite as elite, but we do have uh, good students there too. The children, we, Mike referred to a building that we have built five years ago, or about 2002, it was eight years ago now, the Lord opened our eyes to, to see a, a vision that would allow him to provide for us a building for a ministry for children's club. We have had a children's club for 13 years in our married life. It started in our home, and then when we got too big for our home, we had it in a school. And at times, there were 300 children there every, every Saturday, which was more than we could handle, practically. And it's, it's amazing to see what you can do with 300 children. But we decided, and the Lord helped us to, to purchase a, a property, and we were able to build in the last, uh, well, about finished four years ago, a chapel that seats about 200 easily or 250 children can get in it. And it's been, we've been using it for two years now, and the Lord has blessed that facility. Um, Gladys is very good at organizing and, and putting together programs for children. Uh, a typical Saturday club would have 70 to 100, 120 children come, mothers about 10 or 15 at times, a few men and some, some younger teens, not just, they're not all children, but younger teens, 12, 14, 16 years old. These are our ministry. Each one is a special gift of God to us, and God has provided for them through us and through many people who support us and encourage us in this. Through the years, I would suppose that we have ministered to over 2,000 or, or more children of different backgrounds. Most of them are probably poor. Very few are come from uh, families or houses with means. Many of them have no no family. They, they come from either a, a divided family or they live with their grandmother and they're not living with, with a biological parents. And so part of our ministry is social as well. Our, our primary goal is evangelism and many of them have come to the Lord and the ones that have, we've had children from 10 years ago who have grown up and are now involved in ministry and one comes and helps us as a, as a helper in the, in the Bible club. And so that's, that's our goal, to see them grow and develop and mature and established in a church. There are, we are not a church. Uh, we're only there as, as, as evangelists, or my wife's evangelist. We work there is to, to teach and, and train them in, in, the, in the Bible club. But we do also do social work. We have a big Christmas program. We have um, weekly uh, food, refreshments that's nutritious. It's interesting how God provides. We've, we bought this property and built the chapel on it and then, behind the chapel, the milk factory, one of the owners of the milk factory moved in. And so he lives right behind us. And we always went over to the milk factory to get our milk. We give a bag of milk. And when we saw him, he said, well, I'll help you out. And he gives us um, milk for the children. And so God has, provi- God has provided for us in that. And bread and often an orange or a banana. And many of these children, that's, they, they take two or three bananas or two or three pieces of bread because that's what they'll have for, for dinner in the evening. 
And so it's, it's, not a, it's not a wealthy area. It's not terribly, terribly poor, but there are needs. And there are also medical needs. We have a doctor that works with us, and she provides medical help, attention for the children and mothers who have some concern concerning their, their physical health, and she meets with them and, and, and gives away medicine that the, the hospital provides for us. So that's our ministry with children. I'm also involved in a school. It's, a, it's an MK school for missionaries, but it also serves the greater Bolivian uh, people who, who have a means to send their children to the school because it's a bit expensive for Bolivians. But we have about 150 children from grades kindergarten to grade 12. My job has been to teach math and science. I've also taught other subjects, PE, and where there's needs. One of the things we need as a school are teachers, and if anyone knows teachers that would like to go down for a year, it's a wonderful place of ministry. And I would encourage you to look online. The address is there. You can find out our needs, and if the Lord would, would uh, nudge you in any way, to contact the school and see if you could be used there. Because every year we come up short, and when we come up short, the teachers that are there are stretched thinner. And when we're stretched thinner, we don't minister as well. And that's just part of our life there. And the last few years, and my wife could tell you, I have worked doubly hard in in a lot of areas. One of the things about the school is that it has to meet Bolivian education standards. And since our government has changed from to be a, a, a more leftist socialist government they are very concerned about education and they have made many many laws and it's a real pain to keep our school current with the laws that are continually being written and there's many difficulties meeting those requirements and it's not it's not something that can just be met by saying putting someone in doing it It, you have to really work to see are we meeting the laws and regulations of the school and part of my ministry the last Two year, or last year has been rewriting our records so that the records that as the, they are printed for the students and printed and given to the Ministry of Education are accurate for their current needs and it's always changing so it's very difficult to, to keep up. It's, it's a real headache and others are doing that now while I'm here. We're thankful for those who are taking my place. I don't have to do that. But my wife could tell you I spent hours extra trying to meet our deadlines that our reports for last year would be adequate for the Ministry of Education's needs as they look at the records of schools. And private schools, religious schools, are very much scrutinized. Now, a couple years ago, they had a, a, one of the, not the top people, one of, a, one of the Ministry of Education's people headquarters in, in our area came and sat in on the classes, and they sat in my class when I was teaching science and were watching. And they're there always. It seems like in, they always have an eye out because here's a big school, and they see in their eyes the big S with two lines. And... It's very difficult in a country that's third world developing for a socialistic government to see these schools with big buildings and nice facilities with children that come. The mayor's children's come, the other people who are in the Ministry of Education, other people send their children here because they want a Christian education and we believe that's what they need and we teach for eternity, not just for school progress in math and science, reading and socials and those things, but for an eternal perspective. And of the 200 or so graduates that I have seen come through as, as in the last 15 or 16 years, most of them, I would say almost all of them, have a faithful commitment to the Lord. And many of those are looking and seeing what they can do in ministry as, as, a, as they go out of high school. One of my jobs is, is helping our students 
develop an idea of who they are in Christ and go forward as they leave and, and find the place of, of school, education, where they can, can find the education that they need for what they want to do. And I'm, I'm involved in their lives very closely as they go into grade 12 and 11, and 11 and 12. So that's our ministry. We also work in a church, and my wife's involved more than I am perhaps, but we, we do serve in a local church and, and are seen as, as leaders, but not so much up front. We, we're just kind of in the background. And my wife is very much involved in the church and Sunday school. So that's who we are. And uh, we appreciate your prayers. Pray for Gladys, especially for strength, for, for us as strength. And there's some prayer requests at the bottom of that sheet that I think you have in, your, in the handout that was given you. <clears throat> so that was, that's us. And I would encourage you, if you haven't contacted us, to write us an email. There's a picture of us you can take free of charge. I'll be glad to send a, an update. Usually four to six weeks I send an update and then a bigger Christmas mailing or something that gives a fuller account of our ministry for the year. So please feel free to write us and inquire about what we're doing. Give us encouragement. Send us uh, ideas that we might be able to use if you see areas that we could maybe use in, in our ministry. But the Lord is good to us and we thank him and, and ask, ask the Lord's continuing strength and vision for the future. Now, just one more additional thing. We are not church planners, but there have been people in the church that we attend have said, the building is there. Why aren't you planning a church? We don't feel that that's our calling. And neither Gladys nor I have strength to do that or time. But if you would pray that as the Lord would direct a, a local Bolivian to, and a couple maybe that would come and live in the community and be willing to, to invest their time, then we would look at seeing what we could do to help and encourage a church to, to begin there. Because we have a facility and we have contacts with people in the community. We have, there are a number of people that, are, that we know that are Christians that would go there if there was a church, but they're going other places, and so there's a possibility for that. But we ourselves are not called to be church planters, and I could not be a preacher on a regular basis in a church. So that's, that's something that, that's, that's we're thinking about, but we're not ourselves going to be doing unless there's God provides his people to do that alongside with us, and we'll support them. I want to move on now, please, to the the verse of, of, from Acts, Acts 4.12. I want to talk about the gospel. One thing, Acts 4.12 is what we'll use as a text this morning, but one thing as I have lived overseas, I've lived out of the country in the last 30 years, probably 25 years, as we come back, there's been a change in our country, and I think all of you have recognized that, and most of us do understand that we live in different times than we did even 20 years ago. And our world philosophy, worldview has progressed from modernism to postmodernism, and and the youth are growing up in a different generation. And I don't understand them, even though I'm teaching them, I'm, I'm a, around them, and my own children are growing up, and I, I see the, the challenges of the youth in this generation that come up and they see a, from a perspective that is different than our own. And one of the challenges of the church is maintaining the gospel. <clears throat> and there are many challenges out there that are contrary to the gospel and it's unfortunately infiltrating the church now this morning when I refer to the church which I will in, on occasion I don't mean every church and I don't mean any specific church I don't mean Lion and Lamb Fellowship or any particular church what I mean by the church in this this morning is the bodies of Christ where the places where people congregate and they believe the Bible and they believe 
the teachings of the scriptures. And that's not every church, not every church body, and that's, and that's not the liberal churches where they've long ago abandoned the gospel. But even in the evangelical world, there are challenges that are coming through seminaries and through younger generational pastors who have a watered-down version of the gospel. And we need to maintain the gospel in its purest form. Now, I chose Acts 12 as a verse to refer to because it speaks to three areas that there's direct challenges within the church, but certainly from certainly very strongly from without the church, from the worldview that we live in, the society and all the philosophies that come through educational systems, through politics, through social institutions that are challenging the very essence of what we believe and teach in Bible-believing churches. And so I want to just review. Now, this is not something that's new. The gospel is something that was started with Christ himself. And he gave the commission to go into the world and preach the gospel. And Paul expounded on the gospel in Romans and in all of his letters. And the gospel has traditionally been held up and preached and taught in the world. And the missionaries who have gone out have been gospel-centered, gospel-teaching missionaries. Now, let me just say, in 30 years, I've seen a change. Do you know in 1960, about 1950s and 60s, there were more missionaries, long-term missionaries from the United States and Canada than there are now. We're about half, if you, if you count the number of actual full-time missionaries. I'm not talking short-time youth for a mission or, or YWAM or something like that, but the people who are saying, I'm going and called by God to be a missionary, it's declined to about half of what it was 40 years ago. And part of that is because the churches no longer see a necessary essence of their ministry as sending missionaries. And the other thing about the missionaries who are very often younger missionaries is their understanding and preaching of the gospel is very limited. They come in social work, they come in development, they come, they come for children's ministries, and yet if you would see their ministry, you would ask, where is Jesus in all that? Because the, the missionaries often nowadays, it's more exciting and you can get more money if you're going to help a needy country with, with children, like in Haiti or in, in other countries where there's a, a seen need, people are willing to give to send missionaries to those people. But because a misunderstanding and, and a watered-down version of a Christian Christianity says there's no need for the gospel anymore, we are, the missionaries who come are often not gospel-centered. And I ask myself, what's the purpose of carrying a, a long distance and seeing people healed or helped or fed or clothed without presenting also an eternal picture of Christ? as the Lamb of God. And so that's, that's the change, and it's a big change. And so those who are strictly evangelists, Bible teachers, um, church planters, that, that, are, and that are going out for those reasons, it's much harder for them to get money. And that's the truth. But if you, have a, if you can go and say, I'm doing this and this and this for the country development, people are willing to give and support and encourage those. Anyway, that's, that's aside. But anyway... I want you to look at Acts 4.12 briefly. And it says this, Nor is there salvation in any other, 
for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And there's three areas that we are challenged as a church. And in fact, our younger people, and I, I would guess that most of your children, if they're not in a in homeschooled or in a Christian school such as Care Paravel, they are receiving philosophies from educational systems or in other ways to their peers that would challenge their very foundational beliefs of this verse. I want to talk first about that last phrase. There's three areas. We must be saved. My friends and brothers, there is a hell to avoid. There is a definite need to be saved, and the church and the people in the world and the philosophy of the world is that there's no, no longer a necessary need for Jesus. Why? There is a growing belief, even among Christians, that God is only a God of love and he is not a God of judgment or a God of wrath. That God's love is so certain that there is a universal salvation for everybody. That's being believed by people in evangelical churches. The people in the pew, as much as the preachers in the pulpit, are saying and believing that Jesus Christ is not necessary because everyone will be saved. And that is contrary to the direct teaching of Scripture. There's a hell to avoid. You must be saved. The Bible gives four areas that reflect the need for salvation. Peter, speaking after Pentecost, said, Save yourselves from this evil generation. Now Jesus said, we are called to be in the world and not of it. But Peter said, save yourselves from the evil generation we live in. And that's one of the things that the church doesn't do very well. Because we live in the world that's filled with evil and the evil has constrained the church to where we're accepting people from all races, colors, breeds and they're in the church pews and that it's more a social thing and suddenly The evil is in the world and in the church. But Peter said, save yourselves from this evil and wicked generation, this perverse and crooked generation. And I asked myself, are we saving ourselves? Are we doing our best to keep the influence of the evil and philosophies of the world away from the new believers who come with all sorts of baggage and all sorts of learned philosophies from institutions that have no concept of God at all and they're saved and they come here and they're still in the world, how are we directing them so that they are no longer contaminated by the world? But you see, the church doesn't have that philosophy anymore. We accept all comers. And if there's any church discipline, and I don't know which church has church discipline, it's very, very limited. It's very, very limited. The other thing it says, Jesus Christ was given the name Jesus by the angel to Joseph so that he, to recognize that we, he would save his people from their sins. And my friends, the church no longer believes that either. <clears throat> Where is sin in our world and society? We, we excuse it. We say it's psychological. We say it's ingrown. We say it's environmental. We say it's all those things excuse what is God, contrary to God's law. And the church accepts that. Oh, it's a psychological or, or some other problem. But we need to recognize sin as sin. And we need to recognize that sin is not permitted by God in his holy church, which is his bride. There are three aspects of sin that the Bible teaches. There's a penalty for sin, which when we are saved and come to Christ by faith and put our hope in him, he gives us freedom from that penalty. Thank the Lord. There is therefore no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's also the power of sin, and this is a sanctification process that delivers us from the power of sin in our lives because the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we no longer need to sin, and we don't teach that. We say, well, we excuse it. That's just my... That's just my background. I'm sorry. I did it again. And there's besetting sins that we continually do. There was a, there was a family in the church. In our church in Bolivia. Now, our, our church in Bolivia is pretty good. But for two years, he had an ongoing affair with another lady. And he continued to go to church. But where, and, and Paul wrote to the Corinthians in a very harsh tone. Get rid of the leaven that's in you. And that the sin that's in your church is worse than even what the people on the outside would accept. But the church today doesn't see that, unfortunately. And then, of course, there's the presence of sin, which is delivered from us when we are taken into glory. And there is no more sin at all. But God intends for us to have victory in our personal lives so that we no longer sin. 1 John 3 says, those who are born again do not practice sin. But friends, in the churches today, we don't hear that. And then we're just saved from the wrath to come, which is the deliverance from God's wrath that will be poured out upon the church and upon the world in the end times. And I don't know what your position is on the tribulation, but the church has difficulties and there will be challenges to the church and his wrath is, begins, the judgment of God begins with the house of God. But it's certainly coming upon the earth too for all the wrongs that people have done and the bowls are being poured out or planned by God. And we are delivered from that if we are saved. And finally we are saved from the second judgment, the hell or separation from God the judgment of the lake of fire that is reserved for the devil and his angels. And friends, we don't preach about hell either. A survey was taken by the, what's this guy who does these surveys? Yes. And more than half of the people do not believe in a literal hell. In the church. And I don't know about your children, but your children are growing up and your your young people are growing up without thinking that there's an eternal consequence Separation from God. And even in the seminaries today, of evangelical seminaries, and teachers who, who would say they are Bible-believing fundamentalists would question whether the hell is eternal. John Stott, who many of you have read some of his books, a, a great Bible teacher, has said, I no longer believe that hell is eternal. And he said, the Bible at least gives us the possibility of believing in annihilation as opposed to eternal flames and punishment. And so there are challenges and it's coming down to the church but the Bible says, our verse says, you must be saved. And I ask you and ask myself, are you saved? Is this church teaching that these things are things we must free ourselves from by the power of God through the teaching of the word that is accurate and in the spirit of love, are you saved? There's a hell to avoid. The second aspect of this verse from Acts 4.12 is that there's a savior to proclaim. 
nor is there salvation in any other. Now, friends, the challenge of this is great because except for the fundamental Bible-believing churches, everyone else would say tolerance and say there's truth in every religion and what's my truth and your truth can be different and there's no need for Jesus. Every other non-Bible-believing church would say Jesus is not the only way. That's postmodernism. And that challenge is coming into the church today, into Bible-believing churches. And your young people are growing up with that philosophy feeding into their lives through many different channels, and unless we're teaching them and training them in the right truth, the gospel truth, according to Scripture, it's likely your children would say, if I were born in India, I would be a Hindu, and I could go to heaven. If I were born in a Muslim country, I would believe in Allah and I would go to heaven. Or if I were born in China, the the people in, in China certainly are, if they're sincere, accepted by God. Why do I need Jesus? And that is an idea that is rampant among the younger children and youth of the of the evangelical churches. It's very prominent. And we need to test ourselves, our doctrine to see if we are in the faith. And we need to challenge our children and challenge those who are our sphere of responsibility that they know the truth. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. Neither is there salvation in any other. Friends, there is a Christ to proclaim and we must uphold Christ fearlessly, boldly, and courageously. We cannot be Christians on Sunday only. In our workplace, in our homes, in our schools. We need to speak the gospel of Christ in love. When we're challenged and our children are challenged in their schools, help them to learn how they can adequately put up a defense for what otherwise they will come crashing down upon them. And that's the truth. But the Bible says there's a Savior to proclaim, Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other. The only way, Christ. Now the last one is a very challenging issue that the church faces. And I want you to read our verse again carefully. Nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, there is a world to win. There's a hell to avoid. There's a Christ to preach. And there's a world to win. There's no other name given to the world by which they can be saved. And I tell you the truth. The challenges of just thinking about this are great. And it's hard to answer. Someone who would ask me, and I've had students in my school ask me, Mr. Scoggin, what about the Eskimo in northern Canada who's never heard the gospel? Certainly God would provide a way for them to hear the message of love and his salvation even if they've never heard the name of Jesus Christ. What do you think? Or what about the tribal group in in the southern Bolivia? It's only about 600 people. And there's no message of God's love there yet. 
What about those people who have their own, they believe in a creator God. They believe in, in, a, in a world that was created by someone. Because God has put in the heart of every individual eternity. And they're religious. Are they saved without knowing about Jesus? That's a challenging question and it's not easily answered. How would you answer that to your children when they ask that? What do you say to a philosophy professor in university if you're a 19-year-old and believe the Bible? And he says, why do we need missionaries? Why? Friends, there is a world to win. It's a missionary church. God gave the, the missionary call to his people. Go and preach the gospel in all nations. But the issue is, do they need the gospel or not? Do they have to hear the name of Jesus Christ in order to be saved? That's a very challenging question. And I suggest, Mike, and those who are elders in the church, to bring that out and discuss that sometime. What do you think? Because, I'll tell you, more and more people are saying we don't need to preach Christ. That's why they're sending missionaries that are social workers, that are developers, they do health and children's ministry, and they don't preach Jesus. There's no need. They have their own religion, and they're sincere. But that's contrary to our text this morning. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's a world to win, and it is still a needy world. And my answer to those people, listen, my answer, and you think about it, my answer is someone who's never heard of Christ cannot go to heaven because it's the name of Jesus. I have a whole list of verses. Let me just, and these are not proof texts. There are challenges even within the Bible itself because Romans chapter one says there's a natural revelation that men have and people will use that to excuse not going or not sending or not speaking of Christ because the natural revelation that God has in nature they say is enough but I say the challenges are this one the Bible in Romans says men are without excuse the, the, the knowledge of God is there but they have denied and rejected the knowledge of God even those who are in their own context without a knowledge of Christ or any evangelical or Christian teaching, there still is a knowledge of God in nature and they have broken the law of God according to their own natural understanding. Therefore, they're without excuse. That's my answer. And until they hear the name of Jesus preached, they cannot come to a knowledge of Christ and God as their Savior. That's my understanding. John 1.12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his, in his name. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John 20.31, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. 
Acts 8, 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached these things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized, believed and were baptized. Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave his commandment. And 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. It's a challenge and I don't have the answers for every, every challenge that comes. But friends, the gospel in the church needs to be proclaimed faithfully and the faithful proclamation of God and his gospel proclaims Christ to all. And that's the truth. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And friends, those challenges that I've mentioned, three, is there a hell? There's a hell to avoid. You must be saved. There's a Christ to proclaim. There's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's a world to win. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. And Paul summarizes what I want to say this morning in Romans 10. The message this morning is simple. There's a hell to avoid. There's a Christ to proclaim. There's a world to win. And and Paul said it this way. How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring the gospel. God bless you. Thank you very much.